Section 16 of From a Swedish Homestead by Selma Lagerlöf. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Section 16. The Fisherman's Ring, Part 1. During the reign of the Dorsch Gradenios, there lived in Venice an old fisherman, Checo by name. He had been an unusually strong man and was still very strong for his age, but lately he had given up work and left it to his two sons to provide for him. He was very proud of his sons, and he loved them. Ah, signor, how he loved them! Fate had so ordered it that their bringing up had been almost entirely left to him. Their mother had died early, and so Checo had to take care of them. He had looked after their clothes and cooked their food. He had sat in the boat with needle and cotton and mended and darned. He had not cared in the least that people had laughed at him on that account. He had also quite alone taught them all it was necessary for them to know. He had made a couple of able fishermen of them and taught them to honor God and San Marco. Always remember he said to them that venice will never be able to stand in her own strength look at her has she not been built on the waves look at the low islands close to land where the sea plays amongst the seaweed you would not venture to tread upon them and yet it is upon such foundation that the whole city rests and do you not know that the north wind has strength enough to throw both churches and palaces into the sea do you not know that we have such powerful enemies that all the princes in christendom cannot vanquish them therefore you must always pray to san marco for in his strong hands rest the chains which hold venice suspended over the depths of the sea and in the evening when the moon shed its light over venice greenish-blue from the sea mist when they quietly glided up the canal grande and the gondolas they met were full of singers when the palaces shone in their white splendor and thousands of lights mirrored themselves in the dark waters then he always reminded them that they must thank san marco for life and happiness but oh signor he did not forget him in the daytime either when they returned from fishing and glided over the water of the lagoons light blue and golden when the city lay before them swimming on the waves when the great ships passed in and out of the harbour and the palace of the doge shone like a huge jewel casket holding all the world's treasure then he never forgot to tell them that all these things were the gift of san marco and that they would all vanish if a single venetian were ungrateful enough to give up believing in and adoring him then one day the sons went out fishing on the open sea outside lido they were in company with several others had a splendid vessel and intended being away several days the weather was fine and they hoped for a goodly haul they left the rialto the large island where the city proper lies one early morning and as they passed through the lagoons they saw all the islands 
which, like fortifications, protect Venice against the sea, appear through the mist of the morning. There were La Gindecha and San Giorgio on the right, and San Michele, Muraccio, and San Lazaro on the left. Then island followed upon island in a large circle, right on to the long Lido lying straight before them and forming as it were the clasp of this string of pearls and beyond lido was the wide infinite sea when they were well at sea some of them got into a small boat and rowed out to set their nets it was still fine weather although the waves were higher here than inside the islands none of them however dreamt of any danger they had a good boat and were experienced men but soon those left on the vessel saw that the sea and the sky suddenly grew darker in the north they understood that the storm was coming on and they at once shouted to their comrades but they were already too far away to hear them the wind first reached the small boat when the fishermen suddenly saw the waves rise around them as herds of cattle on a large plain arise in the morning one of the men in the boat stood up and beckoned to his comrades but the same moment he fell backwards into the sea immediately afterwards a wave came which raised the boat on her bows and one could see how the men as it were were shaken from off their seats and flung into the sea it only lasted a moment and everything had disappeared then the boat again appeared keel upwards the men in the vessel tried to reach the spot but could not tack against the wind it was a terrific storm which came rushing over the sea and soon the fishermen in the vessel had their work set to save themselves they succeeded in getting home safely however and brought with them the news of the disaster it was cecco's two sons and three others who had perished ah me how strangely things come about the same morning cecco had gone down to the rialto to the fish market he went about amongst the stands and strutted about like a fine gentleman because he had no need to work he even invited a couple of old lido fishermen to an asteri and stood them a beaker of wine he grew very important as he sat there and bragged and boasted about his sons his spirits loose high and he took out the secine the one the dwarf had given him when he had saved a child from drowning in canal grande he was very proud of this large gold coin carried it always about him and showed it to people whenever there was an opportunity suddenly a man entered the asteri and began to tell about the disaster without noticing that cecco was sitting there but he had not been speaking long before cecco threw himself over him and seized him by the throat you do not dare to tell me that they are dead he shrieked not my sons the man succeeded in getting away from him but cecco for a long time went on as if he were out of his mind people heard him shout and groan they crowded into the asteri as many as it could hold and stood round him in a circle as if he were a juggler cecco sat on the floor and moaned 
He hit the hard stone floor with his fist, and said over and over again, ‚ÄúIt is San Marco, San Marco, San Marco!‚ÄĚ ‚ÄúCecco, you have taken leave of your senses from grief,‚ÄĚ they said to him. ‚ÄúI knew it would happen on the open sea,‚ÄĚ Cecco said, ‚Äúoutside Lido and Malamocco. There I knew it would happen. There San Marco would take them. He bore them a grudge. I have feared it, boy. Yes,‚ÄĚ he said, without hearing what they said to quiet him. ‚ÄúThey once laughed at him, once when we were lying outside Lido. He has not forgotten it. He will not stand being laughed at.‚ÄĚ He looked with confused glances at the bystanders, as if to seek help. ‚ÄúLook here, Beppo from Malamocco,‚ÄĚ he said, stretching out his hand towards a big fisherman. ‚ÄúDon't you believe it was San Marco?‚ÄĚ ‚ÄúDon't imagine any such thing, Cecco.‚ÄĚ ‚ÄúNow you shall hear, Beppo, how it happened. You see, we were lying out at sea, and to while away the time I told them how San Marco had come to Venice. The evangelist San Marco was first buried in a beautiful cathedral at Alexandria in Egypt, but the town got into the possession of unbelievers, and one day the Khalifa ordered that they should build him a magnificent palace at Alexandria and take some columns from the Christian churches for its decoration. But just at that time there were two Venetian merchants at Alexandria who had ten heavily laden vessels lying in the harbor. When these men entered the church where San Marco was buried and heard the command of the Khalifa, they said to the sorrowful priests, The precious body which you have in your church may be desecrated by the Saracens. Give it to us. We will honor it. For San Marco was the first to preach on the lagoon, and the Doge will reward you and the priests gave their consent, and in order that the Christians of Alexandria should not object, the body of another holy man was placed in the evangelist's coffin. But to prevent the Saracens from getting any news of the removal of the body, it was placed at the bottom of the largest chest, and above it were packed hams and smoked bacon, which the Saracens could not endure. So, when the custom-house officers opened the lid of the chest, they at once hurried away. The two merchants, however, brought San Marco safely to Venice. You know, Beppo, that is what they say. I do, Cecco. Yes, but just listen now. And Cecco half arose, and in his fear spoke in a low voice. Something terrible now happened. When I told the boys that the holy man had been hidden underneath the bacon, they burst out laughing. I tried to hush them, but they only laughed the louder. Giacomo was lying on his stomach in the bows, and Pietro sat with his legs dangling outside the boat, and they both laughed so that it could be heard far out over the sea. Bacheco, surely two children may be allowed to laugh. But don't you understand? That is where they have perished today, on the very spot. Or can you understand why they should have lost their lives on that spot? 
Now they all began to talk to him and comfort him. It was his grief which made him lose his senses. This was not like San Marco. He would not revenge himself upon two children. Was it not natural that when a boat was caught in a storm, this would happen on the open sea and not in the harbor? Surely his sons had not lived in enmity with San Marco. They had heard them shout, Eviva San Marco, as eagerly as all the others, and had he not protected them to this very day? He had never, during the years that had passed, shown any sign of being angry with them. But, Cecco, they said, you will bring misfortune upon us with your talk about San Marco. You who are an old man and a wise man should know better than to raise his anger against the Venetians. What are we without him? Cecco sat and looked at them, bewildered. Then you don't believe it? No one in his senses would believe such a thing. It looked as if they had succeeded in quieting him. I will also try not to believe it, he said. He rose and walked towards the door. It would be too cruel, would it not? he said. They were too handsome and too brave for anyone to hate them. I will not believe it. He went home, and in the narrow street outside his door he met an old woman, one of his neighbors. They are reading a mass in the cathedral for the souls of the dead, she said to Cecco, and hurried away. She was afraid of him. He looked so strange. Cecco took his boat and made his way through the small canals down to Riva degli Schiavoni. There was a wide view from there. He looked towards Lido and the sea. Yes, it was a hard wind, but not a storm by any means. There were hardly any waves, and his sons had perished in weather like this. It was inconceivable. He fastened his boat and went across the piazzetta and the market-place into San Marco. There were many people in the church, and they were all kneeling and praying in great fear, for it is much more terrible for the Venetians, you know, than any other people when there is a disaster at sea. They do not get their living from vineyards or fields, but they are all, every one of them, dependent on the sea. Whenever the sea rose against any one of them, they were all afraid and hurried to San Marco to pray to him for protection. As soon as Cecco entered the cathedral, he stopped. He thought of how he had brought his little sons there and taught them to pray to San Marco. It is he who carries us over the sea, who opens the gates of Byzans for us, and gives us the supremacy over the islands of the east he said to them out of gratitude for all this the venetians had built san marco the most beautiful temple in the world and no vessel ever returned from a foreign port without bringing a gift for san marco then they had admired the red marble walls of the cathedral and the golden mosaic ceiling it was as if no misfortune could befall a city that had such a sanctuary for her patron saint. 
Cecco quickly knelt down and began to pray, the one paternoster after the other. It came back, he felt. He would send it away by prayers. He would not believe anything bad about San Marco. But it had been no storm at all, and so much was certain that even if the saint had not sent the storm, he had in any case not done anything to help Cecco's sons, but had allowed them to perish as if by accident. When this thought came upon him, he began to pray, but the thought would not leave him. And to think that San Marco had a treasury in this cathedral full of all the glories of fairyland, to think that he had himself prayed to him all his life and had never rode past the piazzetta without going into the cathedral to invoke him. Surely it was not by a mere accident that his sons had to-day perished on the sea. Oh, it was miserable for the Venetians to have no one better to depend upon. Just fancy a saint who revenged himself upon two children, a patron saint who could not protect against a gust of wind. He stood up and shrugged his shoulders and despairingly waved his hand when he looked towards the tomb of the saint in the chancel. A verger was going about with a large chased silver gilt dish, collecting gifts for San Marco. He went from the one person to the other and also came to Cecco. Cecco drew back as if it were the evil one himself who handed him the plate. Did San Marco ask for gifts from him? Did he think he deserved gifts from him? All at once he seized the large golden sechin he had in his belt and flung it into the plate with such violence that the ring of it could be heard all over the church. It disturbed those who were praying and made them turn round. And all who saw Cecco's face were terrified. He looked as if he were possessed of evil spirits. Cecco immediately left the church, and at first felt it as a great relief that he had been revenged upon the saint. He had treated him as one treats the usurer, who demands more than he is entitled to. Take this too, one says, and throws his last gold piece in the fellow's face, so that the blood runs down over his eyes. But the usurer does not strike again, simply stoops and picks up the settine. So too had San Marco done. He had accepted Cecco's settine, having first robbed him of his sons. Cecco had made him accept a gift which had been tendered with such bitter hatred. Would an honorable man have put up with such treatment? But San Marco was a coward, both cowardly and revengeful but he was not likely to revenge himself upon Cecco. He was no doubt pleased and thankful he had got the sachin. He simply accepted it and pretended that it had been given as piously as could be. When Cecco stood at the entrance, two vergers quickly passed him. It rises, it rises terribly, the one said. What rises? asked Cecco the water in the crypt it has risen a foot in the last two or three minutes 
When Cecco went down the steps, he saw a small pool of water on the market place, close to the bottom step. It was sea water which had splashed up from the piazzetta. He was surprised that the sea had risen so high, and he hurried down to the riva where his boat lay. Everything was as he had left it, only the water had risen considerably. It came rolling in broad waves through the five sea gates, but the wind was not very strong. At the riva there were already pools of sea water, and the canals rose so that the doors in the houses facing the water had to be closed. The sky was all gray like the sea. It never struck Cecco that it might grow into a serious storm. He would not believe any such thing. San Marco had allowed his sons to perish without cause. He felt sure this was no real storm. He would just like to see if it would be a storm, and he sat down beside his boat and waited. Then suddenly rifts appeared in the dull gray clouds which covered the sky. The clouds were torn asunder and flung aside, and large storm clouds came rushing, black like warships, and from them scourging rain and hail fell upon the city, and something like quite a new sea came surging in from Lido. Ah, signor, they were not the swan-necked waves you have seen out there, the waves that bend their transparent necks and hasten towards the shore, and which, when they are pitilessly repulsed, float away again, with their white foam hair dispersed over the surface of the sea. These were dark waves, chasing each other in furious rage, and over their tops the bitter froth of the sea was whipped into mist. The wind was now so strong that the seagulls could no longer continue their quiet flight, but shrieking were thrust from their course. Cecco soon saw them with much trouble making their way towards the sea, so as not to be caught by the storm and flung against the walls. Hundreds of pigeons on San Marco Square flew up, beating their wings so that it sounded like a new storm and hid themselves away in all the nooks and corners of the church roof. But it was not the birds alone that were frightened by the storm. A couple of gondolas had already got loose and were thrown against the shore and were nearly shattered. And now all the gondoliers came rushing to pull their boats into the boathouses or place them in shelter in the small canals. The sailors on the ships lying in the harbor worked with the anchor chains to make the vessels fast in order to prevent them drifting on to the shore. They took down the clothes hanging up to dry, pulled their long caps well over their foreheads, and began to collect all the loose articles lying about in order to bring them below deck. Outside Canal Grande, a whole fishing fleet came hurrying home. All the people from Lido and Malamocco, who had sold their goods at the Rialto, were rushing homewards before the storm grew too violent. Cecco laughed when he saw the fishermen bending over their oars and straining themselves as if they were fleeing from death itself. 
Could they not see that it was only a gust of wind? They could very well have remained and given the Venetian women time to buy all their cattle, fish, and crabs. He was certainly not going to pull his boat into shelter, although the storm was now violent enough for an ordinary man to have taken notice of it. The floating bridges were lifted up high and cast on to the shore, whilst the washerwomen hurried home shrieking. The broad-brimmed hats of the signors were blown off into the canals, from whence the street boys fished them out with freet glee. Sails were torn from the masts and uttered in the air with a bracking sound. Children were knocked down by the strong wind, and the clothes hanging on the lines in the narrow streets were torn to rags and carried far away. Checo laughed at the storm, a storm which drew the birds away and played all sorts of pranks in the streets like a boy. But all the same, he pulled his boat under one of the arches of the bridge. One could really not allow what the wind might take it into its head to do. End of section 16 Read by Lars Rolander